Chapter Twenty of The White Feather. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The White Feather by P. G. Wodehouse. Chapter Twenty. Sheen goes to Aldershot. At Sheen's request, Mr. Spence made no announcement of the fact that Riken would be represented in the lightweights. It would be time enough, Sheen felt, for the school to know that he was a boxer when he had been down and shown what he could do. His appearance in his new role would be the most surprising thing that had happened in the place for years, and it would be a painful anticlimax if, after all the excitement which would be caused by the discovery that he could use his hands, he were to be defeated in his first bout. Whereas, if he happened to win, the announcement of his victory would be all the more impressive, coming unexpectedly. To himself he did not admit the possibility of defeat. He had braced himself up for the ordeal, and he refused to acknowledge to himself that he might not come out of it well. Besides, Joe Bevan continued to express hopeful opinions. "'Just you keep your head, sir,' he said, "'and you'll win. Lots of these gentlemen, they're champions when they're practising, and you'd think nothing wouldn't stop them when they get into the ring. But they get wild directly they begin, and forget everything they've been taught, and where are they then? Why, on the floor, waiting for the referee to count them out.' This picture might have encouraged Sheen more if he had not reflected that he was just as likely to fall into this error as were his opponents. "'What you want to remember is to keep that guard up. Nothing can beat that. And push out your left straight. The straight left rules the boxing world. And be earnest about it. Be as friendly as you like afterwards, but while you are in the ring, say to yourself, "'Well, it's you or me, and don't be too kind.' "'I wish you would come down to second me, Joe,' said Sheen. "'I'll have a jolly good try, sir,' said Joe Bevan. "'Let me see. You'll be going down the night before. I can't come down then, but I'll try and manage it by an early train on the day.' "'How about Francis?' "'Oh, Francis can look after himself for one day. He's not the sort of boy to run wild if he's left alone for a few hours.' "'Then you think you can manage it?' "'Yes, sir. If I'm not there for your first fight, I shall come in time to second you in the final.' "'If I get there,' said Sheen. "'Good seconding's half the battle. These soldiers they give you at Aldershot, well, they don't know the business, as the saying is. They don't look after their man, not like I could. I saw young what's-his-name of rugby, Stevens. He was beaten in the final by a gentleman from Harrow.' I saw him fight there a couple of years ago. After the first round he was leading. Not by much, but still, he was a point or two ahead. Well, he went to his corner, and his seconds sent him up for the next round in the same state he'd got there in. They hadn't done a thing to him. Why, if I'd been in his corner, I'd have taken him and sponged him, and sent him up again as fresh as he could be. You must have a good second if you're to win.' When you're all on top of your man, I don't say. But you get a young gentleman of your own class, just about as quick and strong as you are, and then you'll know where the seconding comes in. Then for goodness sake, don't make any mistake about coming down, said Sheen. I'll be there, sir, said Joe Bevan. 
The Queen's Avenue Gymnasium at Aldershot is a roomy place, but it is always crowded on the public school's day. Sisters and cousins and aunts of competitors flock there to see Tommy or Bobby perform, under the impression, it is to be supposed, that he is about to take part in a pleasant frolic, a sort of merry parlour game. What their opinion is after he emerges from a warm three rounds is not known. Then there are soldiers in scores. Their views on boxing as a sport are crisp and easily defined. What they want is gore. Others of the spectators are old boys, come to see how the school can behave in an emergency, and to find out whether there are still experts like Jones, who won the middles in '96 or Robinson, who was runner-up in the feathers in the same year, or whether, as they have darkly suspected for some time, the school has gone to the dogs since they left. The usual crowd was gathered in the seats round the ring when Sheen came out of the dressing-room and sat down in an obscure corner at the end of the barrier which divides the gymnasium into two parts on these occasions. He felt very lonely. Mr. Spence and the school instructor were watching the gymnastics, which had just started upon their lengthy course. The Riken pair were not expected to figure high on the list this year. He could have joined Mr. Spence, but, at the moment, he felt disinclined for conversation. If he had been a more enthusiastic cricketer, he would have recognized the feeling as that which attacks a batsman before he goes to the wicket. It is not precisely funk. It is rather a desire to accelerate the flight of time and get to business quickly. All things come to him who waits, and among them is that unpleasant sensation of a cold hand upon the portion of the body which lies behind the third waistcoat button. The boxing had begun with a bout between two featherweights, both obviously suffering from stage fright. They were fighting in a scrambling and unscientific manner, which bore out Mr. Bevan's statements on the subject of losing one's head. Sheen felt that both were capable of better things. In the second and third rounds this proved to be the case, and the contest came to an end amidst applause. The next pair were lightweights, and Sheen settled himself to watch more attentively. From these he would gather some indication of what he might expect to find when he entered the ring. He would not have to fight for some time yet. In the drawing for numbers, which had taken place in the dressing-room, he had picked a three. There would be another lightweight battle before he was called upon. His opponent was a Tunbridgian, who, from the glimpse Sheen caught of him, seemed muscular. But he, Sheen, had the advantage in reach, and build on that. After opening tamely, the lightweight bout had become vigorous in the second round, and both men had apparently forgotten that their right arms had been given them by nature for the purpose of guarding. They were going at it in hurricane fashion all over the ring. Sheen was horrified to feel symptoms of a return of that old sensation of panic which had caused him, on that dark day, early in the term, to flee Albert and his wicked works. He set his teeth and fought it down and after a bad minute he was able to argue himself into a proper frame of mind again. After all, that sort of thing looked much worse than it really was. Half those blows, which seemed as if they must do tremendous damage, were probably hardly felt by their recipient. He told himself that Francis, and even the knife and boot boy, hit fully as hard, or harder, and he had never minded them. 
At the end of the contest he was once more looking forward to his entrance to the ring with proper fortitude. The fighting was going briskly forward now, sometimes good, sometimes moderate, but always earnest, and he found himself contemplating, without undue excitement, the fact that at the end of the bout which had just begun, between middleweights from St. Paul's and Wellington, it would be his turn to perform. As luck would have it, he had not so long to wait as he had expected, for the Pauline, taking the lead after the first few exchanges, outfought his man so completely that the referee stopped the contest in the second round. Sheen got up from his corner and went to the dressing-room. The Tunbridgian was already there. He took off his coat. Somebody crammed his hands into the gloves, and from that moment the last trace of nervousness left him. He trembled with the excitement of the thing, and hoped sincerely that no one would notice it, and think that he was afraid. Then, amidst a clapping of hands which sounded faint and far off, he followed his opponent to the ring, and ducked under the ropes. The referee consulted a paper which he held, and announced the names. R. D. Sheen, Riken College. Sheen wriggled his fingers right into the gloves, and thought of Joe Bevan. What had Joe said? Keep that guard up, the straight left. Keep that guard, the straight left. Keep that... A. W. Bird, Tunbridge School. There was a fresh outburst of applause. The Tunbridgian had shown up well in the competition of the previous year, and the crowd welcomed him as an old friend. Keep that guard up, straight left. Straight left, guard up. Seconds out of the ring. Guard up, not too high. Straight left. It beats the world. What an age that man was calling time. Guard up, straight. Time, said the referee. Sheen, filled with a great calm, walked out of his corner and shook hands with his opponent. End of chapter 20